Welcome to the 18th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about the murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. This week's episode covers the sex trafficking murder of Ashley Benson. Thank you for listening to last week's episode that featured a couple of losers on the prowl and a family man who was randomly chosen as a victim of an act of road rage in Idaho. Fair warning. This can be extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime. But sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during our podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And please give us a five-star rating. While you are there, leave a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters more than we can express with words. Thank you so much. Hey, Cindy, how's it going this week? It's going really well. How was your week? Oh, Lord. You know, we uh, moved, so got surrounded by boxes and crazy, crazy in my life right now. Yes, I hate moving. Yeah, it's like, um, it it seems like it's a yearly thing for us, but I know it's really not. It's just, you know. hmm. So, uh, how was your week? It was pretty good. I got caught up on some television. Uh, I did not go to any wrestling matches this week. Oh, anything interesting? Any new uh, series or anything like that that I should catch up on? I watched The Stranger. It was really good. Is this uh, like a nonfiction Netflix thing or what? No, it's fiction and it is Netflix. It's made by the same or written by the same person who wrote Safe. So it's it takes place in England. Hmm. It's really good. Well, I'm going to have to check that out for sure. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. (laughs) I did finally finish the Aaron Hernandez thing too. Yes, that was good. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. Speaking of Aaron Hernandez, which is kind of off track, but uh, yeah, did your team, uh, you know, I wasn't too vested in the Super Bowl, but I'm glad the Chiefs won. And the story that we're going to do this week is very, very loosely. We can relate to the Super Bowl in some way, can't we? Oh, we can. Yes, we'll have to talk about that later. So, on with the story. Yeah, what is our story about this week? All right. Our story this week is about a young lady by the name of Ashley Benson. She was born on April 18th, 1990, and lived in Portland, Oregon. She was a single mother trying to support herself and her young son, Marlon. She had a great support network with her father, stepmother, and a brother and sister. However, she kind of led a double life. Around, so I'm just going to start off with where seem, things seem to pick up and how maybe have gone wrong, for wh- what went wrong, and possibly where it started, okay. so to speak. Okay. All right, so our story really kind of starts with, um, in January of 2014, the father of her son took her to court for custody. Okay, so she has a young son, and the father of the boy said, so they're obviously not together. She's not with this, this, she's a single mom. Uh, duh, you already said that. But they're not married, they're not, they're not together. 
together together, I guess you would say. Okay, okay. And um, and she has a child. She has custody of the child, but then she's taken to court because... The father did not agree with her lifestyle choices. Oh, interesting. Yes. So, in, in, so like I said, in January 2014, Marlon, the father of her son, took Ashley to court for custody of their son due to her lifestyle, her employment, and her current live-in boyfriend. Oh, an exotic dancer or, I mean, could even be like a police officer. That would be dangerous. Well, that's true. That's a valid point. However... She was not a police officer. Was she an exotic dancer? Uh, Nope. Nope. She was actually in the escort business. Oh, okay. An escort is different from, uh, well, an escort, is that a lady of the night? Like a prostitute or a hooker? Um, Well, I guess that depends on, all it depends on who you ask. Oh, okay. All right. So during and she is asked. So we we'll, we will get there. <laughs> All right. During January during the January 29th custody hearing, a lawyer actually asked her about her escort business and entered her website into evidence as an exhibit. All right. Now, um, as for her websites, we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. So she doesn't stand on street corners. She advertises through the internet. She's a true millennial. Correct. All right. So. The judge, the the lawyers ask these questions, and a George, a George, a judge actually presses her to define the difference between an escort and a prostitute. Do tell. <laughs> All right. So, as Ashley explained, she says that she goes on dinner dates with people. She hangs out with them. Um, she goes to the movies, things like that. So the judge then pushes a little bit further and says, "Okay, so what makes you an escort?" And she says, "Well." The exchange of money, so basically. And um, again, the judge is pressing on a little bit more and says, okay, so was this, you know, are, are you just a pleasant conversationalist and that's why they want you to hang out with them? Yeah, throw, they're throwing you money because you're a great talker. Right, and she says, yeah, no, actually we're having sex. So at this point, the judge is like, eh, yeah, that's a risky behavior, whether it's protect- protected sex or not. You go into a room or any kind of facility with a stranger of the opposite sex, whom you know nothing about, you are putting yourself at risk. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yes. Which is a lifestyle choice, but right, there is a child involved. So I can see why someone would uh, try to get custody of the son, I guess. Yes. Um because of this, the judge is saying, because you make poor choices for yourself, I don't think that you can make the right choices for your five-year-old son. So at this point, the judge says, ask her, has anything ever happened so far? So anything, you know, I guess, that puts your life in danger or that you feel uncomfortable with? And she says, no. Um, again, the judge is still asking questions. The judge is very asking a lot of the right questions. So it says, how do they find you? Ashley says, they find me on a website. What are you advertising? Ashley says, I'm advertising sex. So at this point, Ashley told the judge that she had stopped working as an escort, um, saying that she had done it in the past. She wasn't proud of it, but she was doing whatever she had to do to support her son, keep a roof over their head, and to pay their bills. So something that she was doing in the past. Like, I wonder how far in the past, but um, that's not clear, right? Correct. So, I mean, I think it's, she said she had done it in the past year. So she, or she had, she had worked in the escort at, for about a year. In response to the ju- judge's questions, 
Um, Ashley also said that she didn't know how many men that she had met through this service. So the judge kept asking again. So the judge is like, how many dudes do you have you been with in the past year? Like, right? Kind of? Yeah. Like, I mean, how many John? I mean, let's be honest, they're Johns. Right. Um, and, and this isn't like that she was just, I mean, I don't think they could ask her questions if she was just a, uh, you know, if she wasn't doing this in exchange for money, if she was just a promiscuous person, was sleeping around, I don't think that's really, I don't know if that can be brought into a court for custody or not. But in this case, she was questioning her, you know, how many people have you met? How many people have you been with? Closer to one, two, three, four, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen. And and Ashley's response was that she wasn't sure. So due to testimony of the hearing, it also revealed that in 2013, Ashley had been a victim of domestic violence. She had suffered a black eye. She even escaped through a window of a home that she and her son had shared with her her live-in boyfriend named Marcus Giles, or Giles, Marcus Giles. So not only is she an escort, but she also has her son in an abusive household. Correct. That is what the testimony states. So the judge orders like a pretty strict or stern warning to her. The judge characterizes Giles as Benson Ashley's pimp. But Ashley disputed this and says that he has never been charged with any activity, that he was just her boyfriend. Um, and the judge continues to say, look, whether it was an escort or a pimp, did he use the money that you made? And she said, yes, um, he did use the money and that... Um, that she made through the escort business, they went that went to her rent, bills, car insurance, etc. So, he, and not only that, but he's abusing her and he's beating her and he's taking her money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like it could be a pimp to me, but I think you talk about this later, don't you? Yes, I do touch on it a little okay. bit. So, okay. so this is when the judge bluntly warns Ashley that the danger of the dangers of her work and removed her son from her custody, finding that it was in the child's best interest to live with his father and explaining her judgment. The judge added in what turned out to be a very eerie prophecy. And I quote, um, she says, and it's not going to be on my conscience if anything happens in the future. I'm afraid that I have read too many stories and hear too many stories about young women who are engaged in that kind of behavior who end up with their throats slit on the bottom of some river. So 11 months after she lost custody on Christmas Day, Ashley told her parents that she was going to meet some friends, go to a movie, hang out. Um, this was the last time that they saw her alive. So she never came home and... Yep, she never came home. So on the morning of December 26th, Ashley was found dead in the eighth floor stairwell of the Doubletree Hotel in the Lloyd District of Northeast Portland. According to many news sources, Ashley was discovered by a hotel employee who sat with her until authorities arrived on the scene. She was found wearing black pants, a white shirt, just inside the stairwell door. She did not have any socks on and she did not have any shoes on. The medical examiner believed that Ashley's attacker strangled her with his hand sometime between December 25th and December 26th. Holy shit. I mean, you know what? When people are strangled, like the force that it takes to kill someone being strangled that's that's someone who's very angry obviously and it to me it's a typical man thing like i don't know how many women actually strangle people but i guess they do um but it definitely signifies anger right i agree and also the fact that she has no socks on no shoes on leads me to believe that she was probably running 
Like she might have been fleeing, trying to flee from this person. Oh, so her socks and shoes were not near her. Correct. Oh. Um, okay, so another question was she was she was dressed. She had on um, pants and a shirt. Mm-hmm. So she was not sexually assaulted. Yes, there's no mention of that whatsoever. Okay. When police arrive at the hotel, they don't know anything about the victim. In an interview on Oxygen's In Ice Cold Blood, Detective Michelle Michaels says we didn't know her name. And they didn't know how she got there. And as far as they knew, there was no one else with her or connected to her from the hotel. As far as they knew. Yes, as far as they knew. Um, Detectives found they did find a few leads starting at the Double Tree. So after interviewing front desk, the front desk about guests, police quickly became interested in a guest who registered under the name Chris Yoon, who left abruptly in the middle of the night. They pulled phone records for the room that he was staying in, which would be which was room seven fifteen. Police found that multiple phone calls had been made from the Doubletree's room to a Washington telephone number with the area code 360. A detective did a simple Google search on the phone number and found that it was listed in ads for an escort service. Okay, so hold on a minute. All right, because you're in a hotel and you have a cell phone. Are you going to use a fucking hotel phone? I wouldn't, but... I mean, no. I mean, I always thought hotel phones, like, charged you anyway, right? I mean, don't they? Or maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's free local calls. But would that have been local? I don't know the area code. Well, no. They're saying that that's a Washington phone number. He's in Oregon. Because it's, I I believe that Portland's, like, really kind of very close to the border of Oregon and, and, um, and Washington. So, it would... But long distance is long distance, right? Yes. Well, you know, who knows if that's long distance. Who knows anyway. But no matter what, he's using a hotel phone, which I find odd. But then again, well, well we're going to learn more, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So like I said, the detective did a simple Google search, found that this phone number was connected to some escort service service ads. So the ads are on websites called uh, Escort Profile <laughs> and TNA.com. In addition to Backpage.com. TNA? (laughs) Yes, TNA.com and Backpage.com. These um, ads actually showed pictures of a woman matching Ashley's description under the name Foxy Veronica. Her ads read, I am the perfect complete package, sexy, freaky, and sweet. The day that Ashley's body was found, police obtained a judge signature allowing the police to track through GPS, the location of the cell phone with the 630, nope, 360 phone number. On December 28th, members of the search and rescue team found Benson's phone, Ashley's phone. Court records did not identify the location. So we don't even know if the phone was found like on the premises of the hotel. We don't know that. Correct. So the cell phone revealed that Ashley had received an email to sexy.veronica at yahoo.com from an email address of chrisyoon1990 at hotmail.com. At some point during the investigation, um, it was determined that Ashley arrived at the Doubletree to meet a client. So they've determined, okay, this is um, this is an escort that we found in the stairwell, and she was here to meet a client. So they've determined that. Yes, Ashley's family was not aware of any of this activity. Of any of her escort activity? Correct. In a Facebook post, her father, Michael, states that he went to the Doubletree looking for his daughter. It is not known how he 
It is not known how he knew to go to the hotel. Okay, that's odd. So I wonder, you know, like maybe one of her friends called or I, who knows? That's odd. Yeah, I'm not real sure. I don't know if maybe they heard that there was something going on there. They were already worried that they hadn't heard from her. Um, I also saw information in um, a few articles um, that this that this may have been what happened. Additionally, the Post states that he filed a missing persons report, then was told that his daughter was gone, and by the time he came home from the Doubletree, the news outlets had already been waiting for him at his house for an interview. Right. So there's there's some things that were going on that we're not seeing from our end through our through our research. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, but somehow he learned that his daughter might be at the hotel because why would you say, oh, my daughter's missing? Hmm, I'm going to go look at the double tree. He got yeah. word somehow that something was going on, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's what that's what I think we can deduce from this yeah. because, information. I mean, if my kid goes missing, I'm going to go look for my child at the double tree. Police knew that the discovery of the escort advertisements featuring pictures of Ashley was a huge lead, but they continued looking to other into other possibilities and other suspects narrowing narrowing in on the other men in her life. Police were able to quickly eliminate the father of her son and an ex-boyfriend because he was in jail. So the ex-boyfriend was in jail? Where was the father of her son? He just had an alibi. Right. So police then were able to focus heavily on the live-in boyfriend, Marcus. Ashley's family did not like this Marcus character because he had been abusive to her in the past. Her stepmother told In Cold Blood, the episode In Cold Blood, that she and the family found out about Marcus very slowly. They felt he was abusive, and from her point of view, her perspective, she had no idea what Ashley saw in him. Jody Benson, the stepmom, says that her first experience dealing with Marcus was during an incident in which Ashley called her family from a locked bathroom in the home that she shared with him. Um, Ashley was frantic and upset because Marcus allegedly didn't want Ashley to go anywhere. And the dispute only was solved after Ashley's family called the police and her father actually arrived at the home, which is kind of a big deal if my daddy showed up at at a place where I was. Is that like false imprisonment? And like when you won't let your girlfriend leave the house, it's like that's a major Mm -hmm. felony, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I've seen where people have been arrested for, you know, false imprisonment um, when you're, you know, they wouldn't let me out of the bathroom. Yeah, most definitely. Um, In addition, Marcus was physically violent to Ashley, leaving her bruised and battered and even giving her a black eye at one point, which we discussed previously um, earlier in the episode. Although the black eye might have seemed like it was just an isolated incident to Ashley's family, it appears to represent the type of control that Marcus was attempting to exert over Ashley's life. I mean, I think that they probably see that now. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, you know, everything starts to come together and make sense, unfortunately, after the fact. Right. And then she says that we don't, we didn't really know that much about him. Like, so she was isolated from her family a little bit too as far as that goes and she probably made lots of excuses all right so detectives found that marcus and ashley's relationship was really kind of interesting after speaking with her friends and family they said that marcus had control over her and one of ashley's friends even told police about his involvement with her escort business police got the impression that marcus may have been what they call as a romeo pimp to ashley or a trafficker who spends, I'm sorry, who pretends to be in a relationship with a young, vulnerable person, often targeting single moms. These predators know who to look for. Oh, so they're saying he's a, a you said a Romeo pimp? 
Yes, which is very frightening to me because I can see how young, vulnerable people, especially struggling parents or struggling moms, moms yeah. can think that this person's going to care for them, help them, and they find themselves in a situation where they can't see a way out because where am I going to go? I have no place to live. Maybe, you know, I just, I see it and it's sad. Right, yes. Um. So like I said, these predators they know how to look for and this all ties into sex trafficking which is one of the biggest criminal businesses in the world and it has three main components so there's the acquisition the transportation and exploitation ashley's experience up to this point meets all three of those in my opinion so i mean the acquisition of her to have her sign up to do this her lifestyle the transportation he's dropping her off at the hotel okay so so Acquisition. So he meets her. They move in together. And he sets this up. Oh, it exploitation. Probably a- because we actually saw a picture of her. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody took that picture. Somebody's helping her put the stuff. I guess she could do it by herself. But uh, detectives are thinking that he had some involvement in this. So that's the exploitation. And then we're going to learn in a few minutes that he also was giving her rides, right? Yes. So that's the three. You're right. It is. Right. And and here's my thing is I think that he's probably like, well, you know, to make money, maybe you could do this. This is probably an easy way to make money. You don't have to have sex with them. You don't. And, you know, and it just probably led into that. And this is just me kind of speculating. But that someone put it in her mind that this was OK for her to do. And it was a good idea to make money. Easy money. You know, I'm in a jam. I need this. So I really believe that, you know. If he's the Romeo pimp, if he's the predator, if he's the sex trafficker, he's putting it in her mind in a kind of an almost let me help you out kind of way. And then he's dropping her off at these places. And it just it snowballs from there. And then he's exploiting her with the websites because you can advertise this way. And like I said, I'm speculating here. Back to the police interview. Marcus revealed that Ashley often met with a man by the name of Chris Yoon. Who would pay her for dates? He would also give her large amounts of mo- large amount of money, large amounts of money for doing absolutely nothing at all, just spending time with him. Marcus also admitted to dropping Ashley off at the DoubleTree that night, which is the transportation piece of the oh, whole Romeo pimp uh, sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. While they continued to follow up, while they, the police, continued to follow up on the Romeo pimp theory, they were contacted by the DoubleTree, who was like, "Um, excuse me, but uh, Chris Yoon just checked back in the hotel." Surprise. Okay, so the murderer checked back in the hotel that, or the the suspect. Someone by the name of Chris Yoon checked back in to the hotel. So the police learned very quickly that Chris Yoon, a DJ, and his fiance had come to Portland for a show. He had a reservation for his room and checked in on the date of his reservation, which was the December twenty sixth. Yes, not December twenty fifth. Correct, because remember earlier, Chris Yoon said he was checking in early. But Chris Yoon checked into the hotel on December 25th, and then he's checking in again on December 26th. Yes, so there's some confusion there. Right, so I'm he- totally <laughs> So Yoon told police he had no idea how someone else had known about his reservation um, because he quickly denied trying to check in early and he also had been at home and he was able to prove this he showed the police pictures of him and ho- at him at home on christmas day with his fiance and where and where does he live bellevue and that's washington right yes yeah bellevue washington yes okay. right so he 
cooperated with police, letting them search his cell phone and even allowed police to take um, DNA swabs from his mouth. He also gave detectives the name of his fiance, who was with him at the Doubletree. After interviews and searching the motor vehicle, Washington Motor Vehicle Database, um, the police were able to conclude that this was not the same man and not the man they were looking for. So let me get this right. So Chris Yoon had a reservation for the 26th, but checked in on the 25th instead. And then left in a hurry that night. And then the next day, Christian checks in on the day of the reservation and says, no, that wasn't me. Oh, it wasn't me. That is correct. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So now that they've determined that these are two different people. All right. So through phone records and an internet search, an internet server search, police zeroed in on one Tay Bam Yoon, Y-O-O-N, where the other Chris Yoon is Y-O-U-N. All right, so according to court records, Chris, or I'm sorry, Yoon, Y-O-O-N, Taybum, left a long trail that tied him to Ashley Benson. All right, so police initiated, initially had the wrong address, but soon figured out that Tay Yoon, who also often went by Chris Yoon, was living in the an upscale apartment building called 1020 in um, on 108th Avenue where the rent is about $3,000 a month. Holy and, shit. Right? Right. Well, guess what? DJ Chris Yoon lived in the same apartment complex. Okay. Hmm. This is very interesting. So our suspected murderer stole the identity of the DJ Chris Yoon. Sort of, yes. Because he didn't, you know, in the traditional sense of stealing identity, he just used his... Um, his Doubletree Gold membership. He checked in under that name. I don't know. And like I said, he doesn't know how he figured out that this guy had a reservation or if he just popped up or maybe he had a conversation with him in the courtyard at their apartment complex. Yeah, I'm going to the Doubletree for a show. And so he went there saying, meet me there. And he was just like, hey, I'm here. I'm here early. Yeah, because he was actually checking in as this guy. And he's like, yeah, can you give me the same discounted rate? That's just odd. Oh. Yeah. All right, so here's some how the events possibly turned out that evening. Here's events of the evening. Clarify, please. <laughs> so Taebom Yoon showed up at the hotel's front desk around 9 p.m. on Christmas, pretending to be Chris Yoon. DJ. DJ Chris Yoon. Yes. So he said he wanted to check in early and asked if he could have the same discount. He showed the front desk a Washington license with a Bellevue address and gave her a phone number and email address. He had the hotel change the reservation to match the spelling of his name, and then he paid in cash, which I didn't realize that hotels took cash anymore because I've tried, I tried to pay cash not too long ago, and they wouldn't let me. Well, I mean, sometimes I'll check in the hotel with my credit card and say, I want to pay cash when I leave. So I've always had to produce a credit card, but I sometimes will pay cash. So, I mean, I guess it just really depends on your hotel. Yeah, because this particular hotel, I had given them the, the credit card number in, when I made the reservation and tried to pay cash when I got there, and they wouldn't take it. Um, also, police searched for Yoon. They went, as they searched for Yoon, they began piecing together the communication between him and Ashley from emails, phone records, in order to get a better sense of their relationship. To law enforcement, um, Yoon was a possessive man who seemed jealous of her the other men in her life police okay so this is the guy that they've been looking for yes police say that ashley was killed by a man who bought her off the internet for sex and he also had encounters with her previously through her escort service 
This was not the first time he had met up with her. Police now know who their guy is, but they need to find him. So, with growing circumstantial evidence against Yoon, police obtained a warrant to ping his cell phone to get a location. The first ping showed that he was not in the Bellevue area, but was back in Portland, Oregon at another hotel. So this puts them in his jurisdiction. They're in their jurisdiction now. They don't have to worry about uh, extradition or whatever. It's now in Port. It's in Oregon, not Washington. He's in Portland. He's in Oregon. Right. So obviously there's different um, jurisdictions, but I can't think of the actual term right now. (laughs) I mean, when somebody you have to you have to get the Washington police to arrest him and then extradite him. But now he's in their neck of, neck of the woods. It's a little bit less paperwork. To me, it would be just more efficient. Right. But they are going to have to work closely with this other police department. Right. Yeah, for evidence or whatnot, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. So two weeks after Ashley's murder, Yoon was nabbed at, Un- at a union station where police swarmed him. And he reportedly said, how did you find me? Like, I'm a genius. How'd you find me? Right. I'm a genius. How did you find me? Idiot. Further examination of his cell phone seized upon his arrest revealed multiple images of just what kind of idiot he really was. Um, So it suggested that he was heavily involved in cocaine trafficking because putting that on your cell phone is smart. The images included bags of cocaine, shipping containers addressed to people in multiple states, and one photo of a computer screen showing an order for White Stallion's flame cocaine, all rock. Again, this is not a smart man. Well, these are just images on his phone. I mean, it's not smart, but it is still circumstantial evidence. It's not. Yes, it's, it's not, not proof. Thing. It just gave them. But however, it did give them the ability to to go search his place where he lived, which is why they have to involve the Bellevue, Bellevue Police Department again. So the, they conducted a search on Yoon's apartment and found further drug evidence. Okay. Okay. So they get a search warrant. What is um what? I mean, how do they have grounds for a search warrant? Are they doing it on, um, are they doing it because of the images on his phone? Yes. So they were able to say, well, we think that this, because of where he, where he lives in that 20, was it 1020? Yes. 1020 and then like $3,000 a month. They're like, um, okay. So he lives in this upscale apartment complex. He's got these pictures of cocaine on his phone. So when they applied for their search warrants, investigators actually put cocaine trafficking would explain how an individual with no visible means of support or job might be able to afford such an apartment at the 1020. Well, yeah, because he doesn't have a job. So they know not not through any like legal means that we know of. Right. So during their inter- during their interview, sorry, during their search warrant, they were able to find several things. In a hallway laundry closet, they found a quart-sized plastic bag containing cocaine, digital scales, and a small black safe with cocaine residue. In a master bedroom, police found a cutting agent for cocaine and postal service shipping receipts and labels throughout his apartment. During an interview with the Portland homicide detectives, Yoon was very vague about how he started setting up dates with Benson in the first place. He told police that he first called her, but it was because it was difficult for him to meet other women. Yeah, he, he's not a very attractive fellow. He's just a very plain looking, um, well, it's a Chinese, he's an Asian man. Right. So just nothing spectacular about him. Not, I've seen some hot-looking Asian guys. Right. Don't not get because me wrong. he's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, um, so he first met her three or four months prior to this meetup at the Double Tree on Christmas Day. 
So on Christmas Day, he had Yoon had had sent or received more than 25 messages from Ashley, and he had actually called her phone twice. Immediately after the killing, police suspect that Yoon ran to another hotel, um, a residence inn, and that residence inn clerk actually told police that when Yoon arrived on the in the early morning of December 26, he was sweaty and bleeding from multiple scratches all over his face and neck. This clerk actually asked him what happened, and he told her that he had gotten into a fight with his family and that he just needed a place to get away from them. Oh, my God. Ashley, Ashley fought back. Mm-hmm. Which kind of goes to how I said in the beginning where I think that she was running because she was barefoot, no shoes. So she was fighting her attacker and trying to get away from him, which is awful. So, I mean, if he's got scratches and whatnot, you know, she had to have some DNA under her fingernails. I assume so as well. So did he stay at the residence inn? I mean, he's all bloody. Did she give him a room? No, because they don't take cash. See? <laughs> she said, oh, he wanted to pay in cash. She's like, no, sorry, dude. Nope. So she called him a cab. Okay. So radio cab was sent to the residence inn around 2.06 a.m. on December 26th to pick Yoon up. And they dropped him off at another hotel in a nearby town. So he definitely is leaving a trail. Oh, I'm going to run out of this hotel room. Yeah, he sounds like he was probably panicked. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, he might be a cocaine trafficker, but he, it, you know what, he, it kind of reminds me of, do you remember that episode that we did on, um, on the Asian, the, the Asian honor roll student who wanted to be like, oh, I'm a gang member, I'm, you know, I'm a tough guy. It seems to me like he is not a very experienced, you know, tough guy, I guess. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. All right. Well, police are actually claiming that Yoon was obsessed with Ashley. So after evaluating their communication, one email in particular stood out and that police said that this leads to motive. Right. The email said, let me make this clear before you read my message. You will be compensated for all the time you invested in me. I have every intention of paying you. Before you blame me 100%, I want you to know that you did break our agreement, you did post, and although I forgave you, I did find new nude, new listings in Houston, Texas back page. Okay. Okay. So they had an agreement. He's obsessed with her and he's saying, I'm gonna pay you, but you broke our agreement. So their agreement maybe was that um She was gonna be his only She's gonna be his only one. She's not gonna take any other Johns. Yes, and I did read elsewhere that he was trying to get her so that to not post anymore. So for that very reason, he was going to be her her only client. She was gonna. He was gonna be her sugar daddy. So it's I'm the only one. You know, I'm gonna pay you. Mm-hmm. But it makes it seem like maybe he didn't pay her. Right, because it doesn't really make sense. Don't 100 percent before you blame me 100 percent now. And I will say that it says you will will being in all capital letters, be cons- compensated in all capital letters, and then paying is in all capital letters. Like he's like, don't get me wrong, I'm still gonna pay you, but I think that he, in his mind, he's like, I'm only gonna pay you if you're you're with me and only me. I don't. Because she was with that other guy, Marcus Skiles, right? Right. Okay, so, so another thing that grabs me on this is that he says, I did find new listings in Houston, Texas's back page, but she's from Portland, Oregon. I mean, Houston, a, Texas is a huge ass different. Di- yeah, that's a long distance. way from home. So 
you know, I wanted to tell you this thing popped up on uh, my feed the other day. And I don't know if it's because, you know, we've been talking about sex trafficking or researching it. But um, in 2018, like there was this huge sting around the Super Bowl, like these hotels that there was human traffic or sex trafficking around these um, like big conventions and football games. Yes. And yeah. So, I mean, and like I think it's probably every year. That, but there was actually, like you said, a sting and most, lots of people were arrested. Um, and then doing the research, he says he only met her, you know, three or four months prior to when she died. Well, that's football season. And if she was in Houston just a few weeks before she died, there were, you know, that's like I said, that's football season. That's NFL prime time. And that's sex trafficking. If, yes. if her Romeo pimp is driving her around, you know, different uh Places and, and this is speculation, but it happens every whether it happened to Ashley or not. People are driving to big concerts, big conventions, they're you know, big uh, f- football games, things like that, and trafficking women. And Ashley probably did children. Didn't, oh, yes, definitely. And Ashley probably didn't even really think, Oh, I'm in a, tra- a sex trafficking ring, like that probably never even crossed her mind. You know, that there's, that all of this is under one big umbrella these days. Right, right. Um, and, you know, another thing that I read, I know this is kind of getting off topic, but you were in Tampa not uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, I read that sex trafficking is really bad in Tampa and, like, they're grabbing these kids and they're branding them. They're, like, tattoos. I even saw where they, like, would put QV, what is that, QVC? Not QVC. Oh, uh- QR codes. QR codes. And like the John could scan it and find out how much this kid or this uh, person cost. I mean, just disgusting. These people are branded for life. I said this is the biggest criminal business in the world. And it is, I mean, it's not just an episode of CSI or SVU or something. This shit is real life. It is going on and it's frightening. It's everywhere. Yes. Okay. So anyway, tell me what, um, what happened? What Right. Well, you know, it took a while. I mean, I think I read it was like 918 days before Yoon finally admitted that he killed her. He tried to coerce her to leave the escort business. He, um, adding he believed Marcus was actually the one pulling the strings in the relationship. Um, as far as what happened to the victim, he went so far as admitting that there was an argument over payment, which is probably, you didn't pay me, why am I here? You know, it remained unclear uh, why Yoon checked into the hotel under assumed identity. However, police said that it might have been to indicate a degree of premeditation on his part. But ultimately, he admitted he took a plea deal and he was um, sentenced to 18 years in prison. That's that's it. 18 years that's for it. strangling a young woman to death, a young mm-hmm. mother. Yes, I did that's also disgusting. read that he might um, have he has drug. He might possibly also have drug charges with everything that they found in his apartment. I, you know, another question that I have is, you know, we don't know anything about Ashley. We really didn't say anything about Ashley's life, but I know that people who resort to that kind of thing usually are addicts. They usually have drug problems. Um, and he was a drug dealer. I mean, I'm wondering, did that have anything to do with her continuing to contact him or if it could have been one of the reasons why her boyfriend pushed her to see him. Right. Or just an addiction to money, easy money. Um, 
honestly, in her pictures, I mean, there were some seductive pictures that I saw. There were some sexy pictures that I saw. There were some, you know, family-oriented pictures. She didn't look like a stereotypical drug addict. No, she did not. No. no. She, I mean, she was a beautiful young girl. And yes. you could tell that she loved her children, right? Yes. 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 And her she. child, I'm sorry. And her family, they were very close-knit. They were you know, this wasn't like she was estranged from her family. Now, while they didn't know about her escort business, why would she tell them? Right. You know, I mean, she probably went to oh, great yeah, pains. Oh, yeah, by the way, Mom. Yeah. That's she, how I paid the phone bill this week. Right. She probably went to great lengths to keep that from them yeah. because it would break their heart. Yes. And they probably would have done whatever they could to get her out of that lifestyle. Right. Um, so her family was heartbroken over this entire incident. I can't imagine the anger they probably felt when they learned of what happened and how everything transpired, there's probably some guilt. I know I would feel guilty. Um, however, they took action and they they went after the Doubletree Hotel and Backpage, which we really didn't discuss what Backpage was, but it is a classified website or it was like a class of like we're classified ads, classified ads that had a lot of prostitution and like sex sales and just a lot of illegal activity okay, under so, the. Yeah, I remember when there's a big, huge controversy over this and it didn't really make the news until like they realized that minors are being solicited on Backpage. Right, right. And the CEO did eventually... Okay, so he pleaded guilty to charges of facilitating prostitution and money laundering, acknowledging that the great majority of the adult advertisements on Backpage were actually advertisements for prostitution. As a part of his plea agreement, he agreed to shut down the site and give the data to law enforcement. And I'm wondering, too, if that had anything to do with his... With, I mean, this... With Ashley Benson. Like, do you think that... Uh, I know that the I know the FBI got involved when they noticed that, you know, there was child solicitation. But, you know, it, maybe Ashley Benson's case is also a motivating factor in that. Right. And I'm sure this isn't the first case of this type, unfortunately. So they do are going after the Doubletree claiming that they think that there were some red flags, which hindsight is 2020. Now, I think, you know, being like, oh, well, they should have noticed he didn't have any luggage or that he was trying to pay cash. You know, you might not, if someone was checking in, you might not think of those things being right. red flags at the time. And, you know, that he didn't have the right email address or the, the, the misspelled name. There were some red flags. But, I mean, it's interesting you say that there were some red flags because I actually even read that UPS is getting trained. The uh, UPS is getting trained. The drivers are getting trained to recognize it. Truck drivers are getting trained to recognize it. Um there's somebody, some other company that was training people to recognize it, but it's just, it's. Well, even in our profession, our, yes. our day life, uh -huh. our day jobs, we are starting to get training on that right. as well. I mean, yeah. it's in small doses, but. Right, right. So they're angry. They're suing. I, I'm just wondering if anything will ever come out of that, you know, if. It's sad getting it known, making the training people who work at these places is important, but is it something that you would sue a hotel for? Unless, of course, that oh, Doubletree gives them, you know, gives anybody on back page like a... What, like what, a kickback or something. Or points, you know, what rewards or something like and that. And actually in the lawsuit, I think like in the back page federal lawsuit, there was some mention of hotels kind of turning a blind eye. Like maybe people, they knew it was somehow they were onto it. They knew it was happening and they were just turning a blind eye to it. So wow. there's that too. I mean, that's, it's, it's awful. 
if you or someone you know needs help in the United States, um, if you think you see, if you think you um, have seen sex trafficking or human tra human trafficking at all, there are a number of hotlines. Um, one, if you need help, one is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. Um, that's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. There's also a text number, SMS number, 233-733. It's 24 hours, seven days a week. They, it's English, Spanish, uh, 200 other languages because a lot of people are smuggled in from other countries as, you know, we'll get you in the United States, but we own you for a couple of years. Right. And if you do text that 233-733, you text help or info. And there's also a website, humantraffickinghotline.org. In addition to that, after listening, and I learned about this app a, long, a while ago, about a year ago probably, um, and I actually do this when I check into a hotel. It's called Traffic Cam, and it's traffic with um, a K, like in trafficking. So Traffic Cam or trafficcam.com. This app helps fight trafficking by uploading photos of your hotel room. These photos will be used to determine where predators of sex trafficking are committing their crimes. And what they do is they, they take these, they run them through a database of known traffickers and known pictures of, of trafficking. And then they try to they try to match up the rooms so they can kind of narrow it down. And which I thought was kind of genius. Or not only that, but say, you know what? Human trafficking is going on in your hotel. Exactly. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh my gosh, this is is I feel awful for Ashley and her parents and um and her whole family and I think, you know, this is something that we all need to be aware of. So thanks Cindy, appreciate you sharing with us this week. Yes. Thank you for having me. And next week we have something just as exciting. <laughs> so, um thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's murder. We so appreciate sharing our passion with you. And we thank you for your support. And if you'd like to support us even further, you can subscribe to our podcast. Give us a five-star rating. It really helps us. Um, and while you're there, leave us a comment because your subscription ratings are essential to our success. Helps us push us up the charts. You can do this on your favorite platform. More information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. You can visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters, and we have a new one. Thank you, Libby. You are the extra. You, too, can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star rating. And thanks again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.